I appreciate that song. It was compelling. I just felt compelled. I want to come unto Jesus. I'm just an ordinary fellow, but that's the road I would like to travel or supposed to travel to talk up today about uh, the road less traveled. I think the road back to Jesus Christ is less traveled. And I personally feel that the way to get on the path back to Jesus Christ is through the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith and what he did. And that's what I want to talk about today. And Emily, your prayer was beautiful. And I love you all. And I'm humbly accept this calling to speak. I'd like to begin by singing, which will shock all of you, but it introduces my subject. I'll have to change the lyrics on this particular song, which uses the word Mormon. But here's the song. A priesthood boy, a priesthood boy, I was a priesthood boy. I might be envied by a king, for I was a priesthood boy. I grew up in American Fark, Utah. <laughs> I was a priesthood boy. When I was 11 years old, my mother sent away to Montgomery Catalog in Colorado, and I got, received through the mail a navy blue suit. And I put it on and fit me perfectly and wished you could have seen me. I look splendid in navy blue. It's really a fortunate thing for a Mormon man when he looks good in a navy blue suit. I would have worn a navy blue suit today, but I'm afraid it would have overwhelmed you. <laughs> as a boy, I put on my navy blue suit and I went to church. I was just ordained a deacon in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In those days, most people didn't go to church. It was easy to fit all the people in a chapel with people that wasn't their habit to go to church much in those days. and so. Two of us deacons could pass the sacrament to the whole congregation. And the other deacon's name was Herbie Pulaski. And Herbie and I just, when we were ordained deacons, we just found out that perhaps that was our calling, was to pass the sacrament. We just knew how to do it. I don't like, I wished we had a video of it so we could show the young fellows in the church the way the old timers passed the sacrament. I took the tray in my hand. I was wearing a navy blue suit. I stood up straight. My mother sat there and wasn't hardly even reverent. She was trying to see me. She wanted to watch every move I made as her son, George, passed the sacrament to the whole congregation with the assistance of Herbie. And we pass it just, we knew where to go, pass it across here, circle around there, go back across there and pass it across there. It was like a symphony orchestra. And I would nominate myself, if I could, as being perhaps the finest deacon the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints ever had. I just had a knack. I could gather fast offerings and I could do all sorts of things. I wasn't very smart at school. I was a dud over there. But over at church, I was a big wheel. If I hadn't come to church, 50% of the people would have not got the sacrament that week. <laughs> and so after a while, I was old enough to become a teacher in the Aaronic priesthood. Herbie became a teacher too. And we then got the privilege of preparing the sacrament. We would get to, we had real silver trays. I swear they were made of pure silver. There was no plastic in those days and the cups 
were little glass glasses that the Relief Society polished every week. And they sat in a circular pattern like a target in these trays. Herbie and I had a machine. You could put the water in and dump it down and then go in the four or five glasses at a time. It was something to behold, one of the finest inventions ever to be able to use. But sometimes if you weren't careful, you'd sprinkle the water on the trays. Herbie and I didn't feel like that was right. So we wipe it off because Herbie and I took pride in the fact there was no water other than the water in the sacrament cups. And we had to get that all ready and then we still passed the sacrament because there was nobody that could replace <laughs> Herbie and myself. And uh, Herbie died the other day and I went to his funeral and I cried because Herbie didn't swear and Herbie didn't give the teachers any trouble in Sunday school and that. I tried to be like Herbie. I didn't talk to him much at school because he wasn't popular and there was no social gain in talking to Herbie over at school. But at church, Herbie and I were buddies. And so then it came a time when I was old enough to become a priest. I didn't want to be a priest because I was shy. As I said yesterday, a lot of times if you're really handsome as a young fellow, the Lord makes you shy. <laughs> I know I was sure shy. The Lord was preserving me for the latter days. And so I didn't want to become a priest because of one simple reason. I couldn't memorize that sacrament prayer. The bishop said to me, do you want to be a priest, George? And I said, no. And he said, why? And I says, I can't memorize that sacrament prayer. He says, you don't memorize it, you read it. You can read, can't you, George? I said, not when everybody in the building's listening, I can't read. I can't read that. He threw me in a chair. Before I could get up, I was a priest. <laughs> and so I went to church and Herbie and I were both priests. And we were up at the sacrament table. I was frightened as I, didn't, I knew I was going to have to bless the sacrament. But before that, we started to break in the bread. They were singing a sacrament song. And my mother was not against, she was just watching me. And I started to break the bread and somehow I just knew the right size pieces. I had a knack for it so that people would really think this is just the right size. <laughs> and I break the bread and put it on the trays. And then it was time to Bless the sacrament. Herbie said, do you want to do the bread? And I said, yeah, and I knelt down to do the bread. I was kind of petrified, but I decided I'd lower my voice an octave so I'd sound spiritual. And <laughs> I started blessing the bread. And kind of a miracle happened because every fear went out of me. I remembered to read the first line perfectly and the second line, I did the whole sacrament on the bread without a mistake. I looked over to Bishop and he nodded. There were later in my career I made mistakes, but not the first time. When I finished, and I stood up, I was wearing my navy blue suit, it was still the same suit I had when I was a deacon because I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't grow. I wanted to grow more than I wanted to 
anything, but I couldn't grow and was wearing my same suit. And I found out later my mother had been praying that I wouldn't grow because <laughs> she couldn't afford another suit. But I stood there after having blessed the bread and had the Lord bless the bread and handed it across to the deacons. And we had some new deacons that were trying to be like Jesus, but also trying to be like George and Herbie. Isn't the church thrilling? No. How could you ever leave a church like this? How could you ever bring up a boy and not have him have the privilege of being a sacrament boy, a priesthood boy with a navy blue suit and follow old Herbie and don't swear or anything, just be a good boy. So I then handed the tray across and my mother was looking at me and I looked at her and tears came down her cheeks and I was tough so I didn't cry but I felt like it. I was never done anything since. It was just thrilling. As, the past, as blessing the sacrament. I decided perhaps later than then, but I decided that the tough guys, you know, we had tough guys in the American Fork who would go up the canyon and drink beer. I decided that uh, that's what I wanted to be was a tough guy. I had a brother who was a tough guy, smoked and drank and was all state in basketball and everything. And I wanted to be like him, but I couldn't pull it off because my mother wanted me to be a sissy. And I found out I was more inclined and knew how to be a sissy more than a tough guy. But I later learned that the tough guys are not the guys up the canyon drinking beer. The tough guys are down in the valley blessing the sacrament. That's where I was. I was taking the road less traveled. And uh, I became a priest in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and what a joy it was. And uh, that's why it's hard to hold a can of beer in the same hand with which you break the bread, you see. Great motivation. And uh, then I turned old enough to become an elder, and the stake president called me in and said, George, do you smoke? I said, I don't smoke, President. He says, do you drink? And I said, I don't drink. And he said, what about girls? And I said, I can't even get a date, President. <laughs> he says, well, we'll forget that part then. And, and so he said, you know why I'm asking you all these questions? I said, why are you asking me all these questions? He said, we'd like to ordain you an elder. Would you like to be an elder? And I said, I. I'd like to be an elder. And uh, he said, well, next Sunday, uh, state conference, we're going to present your name to be an elder in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I said, that'd be great. So I left the interview and went out and got my old car and pushed on the starter. And it seemed to start better because it knew I was getting more authority. <laughs> and, uh, gotten in a car and drove down to one end of American Fork and that was and circled around and came back in my car and that was something to do in American Fork and then drove down to the other end of American Fork to a place called Don's Sweet Shop which was a sweet shop owned by a guy named Don. <laughs> I walked in Don's Sweet Shop and I had a new navy blue suit 
I grew after it was too late to make all state. And I, I grew and I had a new navy blue suit that my mother bought me. And from Debbie's store in American Fork, it was not a Montgomery Ward, I guess it why well, I looked pretty good in the navy blue suit. And something wonderful happened as I walked into Don's sweet shop. I just threw the doors open because I didn't have much confidence, but right after you talk to the stake president, that it gives you quite a bit of confidence. And I just pushed the door open and stood there in the door. There's people sitting over here, all the high schoolers, and, and they're all looking at me, and I'm standing there in the door. And I walked in like a cowboy would walk up to the bar and walked up to the spin around seats and so I could turn around every time somebody would come and say, how you doing? Because I felt like I was student body president or something. And I needed to say hello to everybody because everybody needed the privilege. <laughs> it was me saying hello to them. I wasn't so shy. But anyway, I looked at the back and Oh, when I walked in, though, I took my seat at the spin-around seats, and three girls were working there, and I was watching them, and they started pushing and shoving each other. I wondered, why are they pushing and shoving each other? And then I realized that they were all vying for the opportunity <laughs> of waiting on me. <laughs> that never happened in high school. Here are these girls pushing and shoving to wait on me, because right after you talk to the state president, you look good. You got the image of Christ in your face. Can you imagine that guy looking like me but having the image of Christ in his face? So it's in his eyes. And I just you know, I tell you, that's the greatest beauty treatment. You might not be good looking, but you can look good. Especially if you're a priesthood guy. <laughs> Going down the less road, traveled road, but you're not gonna get off of it. But you do get off it because you're dumb. But you get right back on it because you're smart. And so one of the girls was a little larger than the others, was able to push the other two aside. <laughs> and she said, what would you like, George? I said, like a cherry chocolate milkshake with more cherry in it than chocolate. She said, George, I'll fix it just the way you want it. She started stirring it up back there. And in the back of Don's sweet shop was a picture painting of some roses that I'd painted and given old Don to hang in his sweet shop. I was going to become an artist. When I was, became an elder, I decided I was going to be a good student and found out I was not the dumb kid I'd been in high school. I could, I sat there drinking my milkshake and said to myself, you know, I think, I think I could amount to something. Is that all right to think that about yourself? I thought I think I can amount to something. I'm as good as anybody in this town. I'm no better than anybody else in this town. And I thought thoughts like that and that painting, I said, I, that's a beautiful painting of roses. They look real and I painted them. And so pretty soon the milkshakes started making noises that milkshakes make when they're gone. <laughs> and I stood up and the girls there looking at me like, don't go, George, because I'll be off work in a half hour. We used to take girls home from work. I mean, some of the guys that had confidence and 
I had never done that, but I could tell they longed for me to stay. <laughs> Take them home. I was, I don't like to admit it, but I was becoming popular because I had this navy blue suit and that. And so I stood up and the ladies looked, watched me, hoping I wouldn't go, but I had places to go and things to do. So I said goodnight to all these guys over here and goodnight over here. And pushed the door open, walked out into the darkness. I know what the people there were saying. They were saying, who was that man? <laughs> anyway, that's good if you knew anything about the Lone Ranger. But <laughs> I walked out into the darkness and drove my old car home and went in the house and knelt down by my bed and said, Heavenly Father, if you let me be an elder, I promise you I'll be a, I won't tell any more dirty jokes. It's all right to hear dirty jokes because you have to. But a priesthood man can't tell one. He just can't. Because he's got power. You don't want to lose your power. And so you, you're, not, you're not a sourpuss guy. You're, you like to have fun, but it's always the kind of fun where Jesus might want to join in. And uh, so I told Heavenly Father, no more bad jokes, no more swearing. If you let me be an elder, I'll try to really be a good one. And he never answered my prayer. But the next week in the old tabernacle in American Fort, at the hands of a high councilman, John Pulley, I became an elder. I held the Melchizedek priesthood in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, I decided I would add my middle initial when I said my name, just like the brethren do. So instead of being George Durant, I became George D. Durant. And I held the priesthood. I went on a mission to England. Picked up the language just like that. <laughs> and, uh, because I am kind of a bragger, I'd like to announce that in two years in England, I became the greatest average missionary <laughs> the church has ever had. I walked around England like I was all state. People in England didn't know me. They didn't know I had been a dud in high school. When they saw me, they would think that he was probably all state. He was probably student body president. He was po probably popular. None of that was true, but I never told him. I just walked around England like I was really a somebody. I wish you could have seen me when I was a missionary. Man, I looked good in navy blue in those days. <laughs> I was so thrilled to be a missionary. I came home and I decided I'd never give up the sacred ground. I'd captured when I was a missionary. I keep walking on this old gospel covenant path. It's been fun for me. It's a fun church. You can act drunk without having a single, single drop alcohol. You can just be fun. Everything could be fun except the sad things. <laughs> then a priesthood man really comes through because he can help people that have sad things. So now, my big final statement, I am a high priest. You are looking at a high priest 
in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I would like to sing again for you, if you don't mind. A priesthood man, a priesthood man. I am a priesthood man. I might be envied by a king, for I am a priesthood man. And I love you. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is true. And put your hand into the hand of God and go out into the darkness. It's better than a safe, a light and safer than a known way. Because I'm a priesthood man, I got to marry Marilyn, who passed away. And now I got to marry Susan, who only married me, not because I'm good looking, but because in her eyes, I look good. And I bear my testimony to referring back to my talk. My talk is my testimony. And what a joy it is to try. My favorite word in the church is try, because it's what we do. We try, and in the name of Jesus Christ, if we come unto Jesus, he makes up for where we can't quite do what we want to do, but he sees that we're trying, and so he makes up the difference. I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now here's my beloved Susan. I loved what George had to say, and I figure you did too. I, like George, have chosen a road less traveled. One of my great blessings is I was born in the covenant. Just amazing parents and uh, who had an amazing pedigree in the church. Everybody was a farmer. Nobody kind of stood out, but they're actually marvelous to me. I grew up in Long Beach, California, where you can imagine there weren't a lot of Latter-day Saints. Uh, and so in my high school, there were four of us. I was the one that went to church. So with that, um, I had uh, some talents along the way. My uh, parents were well-to-do, and so you can imagine they gave me every opportunity to learn ballet. But I get dizzy when I turn. So that didn't work. And then they tried piano, and my hands couldn't reach an octave. So that didn't work. There was tumbling, there was singing, and you name it. But the only thing I... I actually was good at was any kind of reading. And I, I found along the way that I could read something and remember it. So when most of my friends were getting married after high school, I just kept going to school. And before I knew it, I, I had a doctorate and um, I then became a teacher. I taught a lot of things. You'd say, kindergarten, I go, oh, sure. <laughs> you know, junior high, yeah, geography, history. Um, high school, yes, yeah, some typing. Uh, junior college, psychology, you know, that was pretty interesting. You say, yeah, you're a little bit acid in your comments. And then at a university, 
finance? And I go, yeah, that, that would be me. And anyway, it just kind of went on and on because you realize if you can read something and remember it, you can pretty much teach anything, right? And so there came a time in the 70s when the president of Brigham Young University in Provo was Dallin H. Oaks, who had been raised by a single-parent mom. And he began looking at the different colleges in the university, and the question was, here's religion. It had been 109 years, and we don't have any woman that's ever taught religion. Who do we think already in our faculty we could transfer over who would do that? And uh, so the option came to me. My knee-jerk reaction was, uh, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like I have a son who is a professor, and at one point he said, Hey, Mom, have you ever spoken in Washington, D.C.? And I go, Oh, sure. Why, I believe, series at the Washington, D.C. Um, Visitor Center and at mission conferences. And he goes, Well, Mom, I'm about to speak at the Pentagon. And I go, oh my gosh, Todd, you're living my dream. <laughs> I thought that would be me. Well, uh, circumstances came about where I said, okay, if you're really serious, it's kind of like having a key to the men's room, but uh, <laughs> I'll see if I can't do my best to fit in. So in 1976, I began uh, teaching religion at BYU. As you can imagine, not every man that taught religion was happy to see me, and especially when I knew the answers. <laughs> so uh, an exception, an exception was George Durant, who was teaching there. I actually had my office on one side of his, and I'd say, good morning to George, and I'd go, how are you doing? And he'd go, it's my best day so far. And then I'd say hello to the neighbor on the other side of the office. How are you doing? And it was just grumble grouch. So you can imagine, I liked George. And the students liked George. Can you see that? He was just a classic. But then within, uh, what, a year and a half, George is gone. And suddenly his name's in neon lights. And I could follow him via the church news. And occasionally, he'd come back to BYU for Christmas, uh, like vacation, I don't know. They'd have the old guys come back, and we'd have some kind of social. And he and I would swap jokes. But in the meantime, I kept teaching. I love being a teacher. And it's now 38 years later. I've lost my husband, and I get a call from George. And I think, oh my, that's so odd. So I've got a call from George, and he says, can I come see you? And by this point, George is a high priest. <laughs> He's a priesthood man, right? So uh, <laughs> he said, could I come see you? And I go, well, that's interesting. Maybe he wants to talk about a book I've written or something. I don't know. So anyway, I get semi-dressed up, as good as you're going to look in your 60s, right? And... Uh, so I, I go to the door, and he's wearing a navy blue suit. <laughs> I, I just knew he was trying to impress me. And anyway, so you know when you say hello, you typically put out your hand. I mean, if you taught religion for now 40 years, you put out your hand, you straight arm him. And 
George puts his arm around me, and then you realize, women, if that happens, you count 1,001, 1,002, and then you break. <laughs> but George just doesn't let go. And, uh, you know, the way he tells the story is that I'm a large woman and that he couldn't get away from me. But I'm telling you, that's not how it was. And uh, pretty soon, I, you know, I'm really pushing him, and I go, hey, George, you wanted to see me. You know, what, what's it about? And he goes, well, can I come in? And he comes in my front room and sits down, and he says, well, I want to ask you something. I go, what is it? And he said, I'd like to ask you to marry me. <laughs> okay. Now, remember, he's a priesthood man, right? So there's no flowers for me. There's no candy. It's a total precursor of what I can possibly expect. So, so I go, oh my gosh, absolutely not. And, uh, and then he says, uh, he says, well, I'm, do, I'm doing the missionary approach. I'm just trying to tell you, you know, the missionary goes in. He says, I'd like you to be baptized. And now, you know, I'm going to tell you things so you want to be. And he goes, so... Uh, I just want to tell you what the end object is, but now I'm going to help you fall in love with me. Well, well, less than about three minutes, I've kicked him out of the house, and uh, I've now called uh, one of my sons, who uh, is really big on uh, taekwondo, something like taekwondo. Okay, good. And he comes over, and he has a can of mace for me, and... Uh, He's showing me some of the holes that I can do. And, uh, you know, I thank him. I call another son. He says, Mom, we have got to get you an alarm system. I mean, you just can't have these people just walking in like that. We're just... And uh, then I call another son. He goes, George Durant? You know, I kind of remember him. Was he the MTC president? I go, yep. And he goes, well, uh, Mom, do you really think a better person will walk through your door? <laughs> and, I go, I go, that's, that's not it. This is not the point. I already know what I'm doing. Well, okay. Uh, all right. I get on my tennis shoes, and I go running around the block, and anyway, make it all the way to the museum. I'm pretty shook. I mean, this, this is something you don't expect, right? And so the next day's school, and I head to school, and I taught then big pick classes, not as many as you hear, but, you know, probably 300, and and uh, I go up to the front, and it has a podi podium with a microphone, and I look around, and there's George. <laughs> and I go, well, uh, I have an old colleague that just stepped in. I'd like to call on him to give the opening prayer. So he comes to the front, and he gets it, you know, hello, everybody hear me? Yep. He goes, I want you to know I love your teacher. <laughs> and I'm like... Oh, no, you know, I'm going, <laughs> boom. And uh, he goes, uh, you know, I've asked her to marry me. <laughs> and you get all those kids with their cell phones, right? And they're, they're all capturing it. This, this is big. This is big. And he goes, you know, he goes, I'd be willing to pray, but she's got to give me a better answer. And uh, so finally he prays. I do my class. I'm walking back to my office. My colleagues are saying, oh, my gosh, you had some class. Yeah, I had really... So, okay, George became omnipresent. I know the Lord is omnipresent, but I go out in the morning, get a newspaper, he'd be there, I'd go out to weed, he'd be in the garden, I just, you know, I just, he's, he's everywhere. And, uh, wow, well, time passed, not to belabor it, 
but uh, George decided he should go on a writing campaign to get people he knew to write me letters. <laughs> and so I heard from President Monson. You ever want, want a letter from the U.S.? You go, oh my gosh, I got a letter from the prophet. I heard from uh, President Packer. I heard from Elder Oaks. I heard from Elder Holland. I heard from the governor. I heard from temple presidents. <laughs> and everyone trying to extol the greatness of George. <laughs> well, now you know what happens with the priesthood, man? They have confidence. They just have confidence. And uh, finally, George has a son who's head of the Utah Supreme Court. I mean, he's the chief justice. He's head honcho. And he now makes an appointment to come see me. And he goes, Susan, who do you think's the law in the state of Utah? <laughs> and I go, Matt? I go, Matt, you, you are the law. And he goes, I'm telling you, I'm looking at you, and you will not look good in orange. <laughs> and he said, you are supposed to marry my dad. Well, okay, time passes. I'm like, I'm just stressed out of my mind. I'm getting zits like I did in junior high. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, this should not be happening in my life. I have a plan. I know what I'm doing. And uh, finally, George and I, uh, well, okay. Uh, we, we now have, uh, well, we've done some speaking together, and people are coming up saying, I love you, George. Darn it, Susan, you're smart. You know, and my self-esteem is just plummeting, plummeting. And uh, so finally, uh, we, we have been in the St. George area, and we're coming back, and we stop at a place called Kolob. I think George thought it was as close to heaven as he was going to get. <laughs> and so uh, we, we drive up there, and we get out, and we hike, which means as old duffers, we open the door and we make it to the edge of the cliff, right? <laughs> ah, that's about it. And uh, he then <clears throat> opens up a small box and he goes, here's the diamond ring. And I go, George, I can't see the diamond. <laughs> and <laughs> he goes, well, you got to squint. If you get it just in the right light, you're going to see this. I go, okay, okay, I got it. He goes, now, what I want you to do, you take this diamond or I'm going to jump. <laughs> well, okay. I don't know. Is it one too many hours in Release Society with Compassionate Service? I do not know. But, uh, you know, I, I finally said yes. Okay, seven years have come and gone. What's it like to be married to a priesthood man? Especially a priesthood man who starts out every day with, this is my best day so far. Wow. <laughs> now, I should be the one who's envied by the queens in the earth, right? Because uh, I live with a man that loves his Father in heaven. When I need a blessing, I don't need to call somebody down the street. He doesn't have to say, let me get on my knees and make sure I'm okay. He is okay to give me a blessing. When it's time to go to church, I know that he'll go. I don't have to say, get out of bed, we got to make this. And he always says, we're going to go to church, but if he waits for me, we're never on time. You know, so we kind of have a system. It is a complete blessing. So George, come on up. You're going to see George and I 
are a lot different. On his side of the bed is a TV remote. On mine are books. <laughs> George is tall, I'm short. George has really tall family members. Gosh, they're wonderful. So my life is so blessed. But OK, George, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here. It's been seven years. How is it really? This is a chance to be honest, all these guys. I was not good at living alone, and I did have intentions when I, and it's been glorious. Really, I like that. I mean, not everything's perfect. What? Because of me. <laughs> I thought that was perfect, what? But okay. I would not be here today. I would be home watching Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Instead, my, of, instead of meeting all these great people and having all this fun. But uh, Susan has brought me alive again. And, and uh, we see eye to eye. We love Joseph Smith. We love the temple. We love to go to the temple. It's thrilling to go to the temple. And even though the film is not as interesting, is it? <laughs> as it was. Well, good. Thank you, George. We've just heard from you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. But it's still the same. <laughs> okay, so here, here's our message. And you may say, well, you took a long, long route to get to the bottom line. If you go the road less traveled, the straight and narrow path, right? The covenant path, you know, can you experience joy and happiness? And uh, the answer is yes. It's not the path you're going to find on TV, right? You know, you turn on TV and you go, I had a wonderful day. Ah, oh, ick. And, uh, but, you know, choose the right. In this there is safety, in this there is peace. There is also happiness. And we say this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.